And our scripture reading this uh, afternoon comes from 1 Corinthians 6 and uh, verses 9 through 20. So let's give our attention now to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flees from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So for the reading of God's holy word, may he bless our hearts this afternoon. I'd like to also read, uh, by way of introduction, uh, question and answers uh, 31 to 34 from this New Reformation Catechism on Human Sexuality. For those who are visiting with us this afternoon, we've been working through the topics of this uh, catechism. And uh, we come to a, a challenging and sensitive topic this afternoon. If you are visiting with us, just know this isn't a normal sermon topic for us. This is the first time in 14 years I've preached on this topic, but I think it's a very important thing to address uh, in our day and age. And uh, so I'll be preaching against this this afternoon and so, uh, and pointing us to Christ, of course, in the gospel. Uh, but let's hear what the catechism says based on God's word from uh, question and answer 31 to 34. What is pornography? Pornography is a lustful desire of the flesh activated through the channel of the eye, through the looking upon or distributing of naked images of males and females for the purpose of sexual arousal. Why is pornography so destructive? Because the use of such images ruins the sexual intimacy intended for marriage, supports idolatry in the worship of the creature, dehumanizes men and women, promoting abuse, especially of women, advances other forms of sexual impurity, creates idleness in society to the harm of our neighbors, and degrades the mind into darkness. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their unholy desires and are unrepentant 
of their sexual ways. By no means. Scripture tells us that no sexually immoral person, no adulterer, no fornicator, no homosexual, no abuser of women, or the like, will inherit the kingdom of God. What is involved in genuine repentance of all sexual sin? Two things. The dying away of the old self by hating all forms of sexual immorality and fleeing from it. And the rising to life of the new self by finding great joy in leading a sexually pure life and, if married, by properly loving our spouses. Amen. Well, let's uh, consider then this uh, topic this afternoon. We continue our series through the New Reformation Catechism on Human Sexuality. And uh, today we come to a topic, as I said, that's a huge issue in our day and age, uh, namely the topic of pornography. And let me just say up front that I recognize that this is a sensitive topic for a number of reasons, one of which is the various age groups of those present in our worship services. Um, and I'm sensitive to that, but, but uh, I believe that it's an important topic that the church needs to address, uh, even from the pulpit. As we heard this morning from Exodus 22, the Bible is not silent when it comes to sexual sins, even such sins such as premarital sex and bestiality. It mentions other perversions of sex as well, such as incest and rape. And so while we want to be, of course, sensitive to our covenant children and how and when they are exposed to various topics of sin, we have to realize that the Bible, in fact, mentions these sins. If they were to simply read their Bible or hear it read in family worship or at church, they'll inevitably be exposed uh, to these things. And they may ask, Mommy, what did that verse mean? And it's important that we teach them the truth of God's word and that we do it before the world teaches them about these things because the world is seeking to catechize our children even on these things. Now, granted, we want to be sensitive uh, to the age of our children as we do that, but we have to be preparing them with God's word to do battle against the lies of the world and the flesh and the devil. Now, the Bible doesn't dwell on these sins or go into great detail, and it's, of course, never crude. And, uh, and so in talking about them, we, would, uh, we should strive to be only as explicit as the Bible is. And that will be our aim this afternoon. But this is an important topic uh, that this catechism addresses. The statistics show that 82% of all people have viewed pornography at some point. And sadly, 84.4% of males have been exposed to it by age 13. Sadly, uh, females, 57% of females by ages 14 to 18. Based on the statistics and the accessibility of it, I'm sure many of us have been exposed to it at some point, even if one wasn't even searching for it. Some of us may be struggling with it now. And while men tend to struggle more, women struggle as well. It's not just a guy issue. But it is a powerful weapon that the devil uses in our day and age to enslave people, and we must be equipped with God's word to do battle against the lies of the devil and to flee from it. As Paul says in our passage, flee sexual immorality. And he says in other places, we are not 
ignorant of the devil's schemes. We need to expose his schemes. And you might not be one who struggles with this, but there are brothers and sisters in Christ who do. And as members of one body, we need to help one another in this fight with prayer and with encouragement from God's word and accountability. Wherever you're at is my prayer that this sermon will enable you more and more to flee sexual morality and to walk in purity. And I want to encourage you this afternoon with a message of hope. If you struggle with this, I want to encourage you with the good news that no matter how intense or long-standing the struggle may be for you, it's the work of Jesus Christ to set people free from sin, even this sin. And so two points this afternoon we'll consider Uh, The first is the destructiveness of pornography, and then secondly, our deliverance in Christ. And so the destructiveness of pornography, and then secondly, our deliverance in Christ. Uh, The Catechism asks, what is pornography? And uh, there was a slight revision uh, from the original uh, Catechism to this definition to make it more objective. In the revision, it says this, pornography is sexually explicit material produced to serve lustful desires of the flesh, activated through the channel of the eye, through the looking upon of naked images of males and females for the purpose of sexual arousal. Now it should go without saying, of course, that uh, viewing such material is sin. But to be sure, Jesus said in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus teaches us that the law of God applies not only to our external actions, but all the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. It applies to our thought life. We're to be pure. We're to have pure thoughts of others. And God knows all of our thoughts. And so we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in one way or another. Now, I'm sure we all recognize that it's a sin to view such material, and yet we can recognize something as a sin and still struggle with it. And so in order to help us hate it and flee from it more and more, the catechism helps us to see just how destructive this sin is. As the Puritan Thomas Brooks put it, Satan is like a master fisherman who shows you the bait but hides the hook. And one of the ways we do battle against Satan is exposing the hook, the danger that's there. And one of the lies of our culture is that private sins of sexual immorality don't hurt anyone. But is that true? No, it's a total lie. Not only is it a sin against God, our creator, it's also destructive of ourself and others. And so the Catechism asks, why is pornography so destructive? And gives us six reasons here. First, because the use of such images ruins the sexual intimacy intended for marriage. God created sex, as we said often from this pulpit. It's a good gift from God to be enjoyed within the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. It's a sign and seal of the covenant that functions like a relational glue. It renews and reinforces 
the marriage covenant and the one flesh union between a husband and a wife. And when one uses pornography and seeks sexual gratification through it, it hijacks the biological response that God intended to bond a husband and wife together within a marriage covenant. It erodes one's capacity to find sexual satisfaction with one's spouse, and thus sexual intimacy becomes less and less in the marriage, or becomes selfish and abusive. And thus this sin not only ruins the sexual intimacy that God intended for marriage, but it ruins marriages, and it ruins families. And so this is one of the reasons we should hate it and flee from it more and more, whether we're married or single. If you're single, you need to love your future spouse. If you desire a spouse, you need to love your future spouse and family. And out of love for them, flee this sin. Uh, Secondly, the Catechism highlights that it supports idolatry in the worship of the Creator. You see, when we commit sexual morality like this, we are turning away from God and turning to an idol. Instead of trusting in God and seeking His strength when we are depressed or anxious or stressed out, we turn to the idol of sex to help us escape reality. Instead of seeking lasting pleasures in God, as he promised in his word, we seek the fleeting fleeting pleasures of sinful sexual pleasure. Instead of loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving others self-sacrificially, we love ourselves, and we serve the idol of self. And so it supports idolatry in the worship of the creator, and so let us Flee it for this reason as well. Third, it dehumanizes men and women, promoting abuse, especially of women. Pornography treats humans who are created in the image of God as objects for one's own selfish pleasure. It rewires our brains so that we think of others this way. And thus, it's often been linked in studies to physical and sexual abuse and sex trafficking, especially of women and children. And so if you hate the abuse of women and children, if you hate sex trafficking of women and children, then you ought to hate pornography because it fuels these things. I mean, doesn't the sex trafficking industry make your blood boil? And we are rightly outraged by such terrible wickedness. But what is our outrage worth if we consume pornography? So let us flee it because of these things as well. Fourth, the Catechism mentions that it advances other forms of sexual impurity. It's no coincidence that this sin has become uh, so accessible with the invention of the internet and the invention of the smartphone that at the same time there has been a moral and sexual revolution in our day and age and that's because it's like a drug that requires more and more in order to get a high it rewires your brain as i said so that you crave more and more sexual deviancy in order to get sexual pleasure 
that which God designed as good and pure and healthy to be enjoyed within marriage becomes boring. And so one becomes addicted to the high and seeks more and more new and unnatural, deviant forms of sexual immorality. And so let us flee from it as well for this reason. Fifth, it creates idleness in society to the harm of our neighbors. Those who view it become more and more addicted to it, and it begins to take more and more of your time and your energy and your sleep. When we're called in God's word to avoid idleness and to work in love for the good of others, but it's because of this sin that many have stayed up late at night, been late to school or work, not able to perform their job as well because they're tired, failed college classes, maybe even dropped out of college, and not able to serve their family and others around them as they ought. So yet this is another reason why we must flee it because it harms our neighbors, creating idleness in society. Well, six, and finally, it degrades the mind into darkness. It's like a downward spiral into spiritual darkness when we engage in it, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 4. Now this I say to you and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and have been given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That's the image of an unbeliever outside of Christ. Their minds are spiritually depraved, and it's a downward spiral that gets worse and worse and worse. And he says, but that is not the way that you learn Christ. You must not live like them. And it's not just a spiritual thing. It's a physical thing. This has a negative, has negative physiological effects on your brain. It rewires it in a harmful way. You see, we have reward centers that God gives us in the brain. God's given us the ability to enjoy the pleasures of his good creation for his glory. And it's a blessing. We can enjoy a good meal. We can enjoy the beauty of God's creation we can enjoy the love of family and friends, sports, music, arts, and entertainment. God is so good to us that he's given us these good gifts, and he's given us these amazing brains with reward centers to enjoy these things uh, for his glory. And the reward center's job is to release a pleasure chemical called dopamine into our brains in response to behaviors that we perceive as positive like eating tasty food, getting in a good workout, or enjoying a song. And the largest blast of dopamine comes in the arena of sexuality. This is why God designed sex for marriage, to strengthen the love and union between a husband and a wife. And it's a good gift when it's used in this way. But like all of God's good, good gifts in creation, we humans sinfully misuse them and abuse them. And sex is like fire. It can either be used for great good, like warming your home, or it can be greatly destructive and burn your home down. 
So there's a normal, healthy way of enjoying God's good gifts according to his good design. But when we introduce sexual fulfillment in a way that God has not designed our bodies and our brains to handle, it fundamentally affects the brain. It creates what's called neural pathways in the brain that make you crave it more and more, and it affects your prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that enables you to put the brakes on unhealthy habits and risky behavior. And it diminishes your ability to enjoy the good gifts God gives you in his creation. I'm not going to say much more about the science of the brain as this is well beyond my area of expertise. I'm just a humble seminary graduate. But if you want to study this more, the studies are out there. One is a book by a Christian professor of psychology at Wheaton called Wired for Intimacy, where he goes into the science of this. But I will at least add this, that if you have struggled with this sin, the good news is that God also created the brain in such a way that as you are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, the brain can heal itself from these things. Because of the neuroplasticity of the brain, your brain can be rewired according to God's good design, and that's good news. And so that's just six of the reasons that pornography is so destructive and why we need to flee it. Surely more could be mentioned, like the fact that it induces depression and anxiety and stress and social anxiety. It's probably one of the reasons why marriage is happening so late in society. But above all, we need to flee it because it's a sin against God who loves us and takes care of us as our creator and loves us and gave his son for us as our redeemer. And the good news of the gospel is that there is forgiveness and freedom in Christ from this sin. And so secondly, notice our deliverance in Christ. Notice again what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. What he's saying is, he's not saying if you have committed those sins, you can't go to to heaven. He's saying, no, if you live in unrepentance, if this is your lifestyle, if you're given to these things and you're not even repentant of it at all, then you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But if you are repentant, he goes on to say, and such were some of you. In other words, that's who you used to be. That's your old identity in Adam. But now you have a new identity in Christ. This is the good news about those who have faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation, he says to you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Beloved, this is the good news of the gospel for all who trust in Christ. We have a new identity in Christ. This is who we are. This is what defines us now. He says, you've been washed. You've been washed. You've been washed with the precious blood of Christ. You're clean in Christ. 
You're not dirty like, you know, our cars right now with the slush that's going all over them. I can't wait to wash my car. It's so dirty and gross. But, you know, we feel like that sometimes because of our sins. But the good news of the gospel is we're washed. We're clean. We're pure. We're holy in Christ. All the filth of the guilt of your sin has been washed away once and for all. Once and for all. And even more, the Spirit is washing away the pollution of sin that remains. You were washed. And notice he says then you are, you were sanctified as well. In other words, what he's saying is you've been set apart for God's holy purposes. You are holy in Christ. He says in this passage, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? You are the temple. Not just the church corporately, as he says in chapter, thir- chapter 3, but here, each and every one of us, he says, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember that as you fight against lust and sexual morality. The Holy Spirit is with you in the battle, and he is within you. And so call upon him for his immeasurable strength. You have the power to fight against lust, the power of the Holy Spirit. As Kevin DeYoung put it, the great power that created the world and saved us and raised Jesus from the dead, that same power is now at work in you. We must believe that God is stronger than sexual temptation, sin, and addiction. If you believe that God brought a dead man back to life, you should believe that you can change. Not necessarily overnight, but from one degree of glory to the next. Remember that as you confess the Apostles' Creed and you say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, that that Spirit dwells within you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you have His power to say no to sin, to resist sin, and to delight in living according to God's ways. He says you were justified. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. What this means is that if you are repentant of your sins and are trusting in Christ alone for salvation, in his perfectly obedient life, in his death on the cross where he suffered the curse of the law in your place, and in his resurrection from the dead, then the good news is you're justified. And that means that God has forgiven you of the guilt of all of your sins once and for all. And even more, he has clothed you. In the righteousness of Jesus Christ, he has credited his righteous garments, his righteous life to your account. In other words, in your justification, God treats you and sees you as if you never sinned nor had any sin. And just as if you always loved and obeyed him perfectly. The record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands has been canceled. It's been nailed to the cross, Paul says in Colossians 2, so that we're no longer condemned by it. And we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's all because Christ, our second Adam, represented us and obeyed the law on our behalf and suffered in our place on the cross. Beloved, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And you are free in Christ from the curse of the law, and you are free in Christ from the dominion of sin, as we heard a few weeks ago from Romans 6, you are no longer a slave to sin. Sin is no longer your master. Your new master is Christ. Paul says this in verse 20 here, 
For you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You see, Christ redeemed you from slavery to sin and the tyranny of the devil, and he's your new master. He purchased you with his blood, and you belong to him. As we confess in Lord's Day 1, what's your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? And he has redeemed me with his precious blood and delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. And even more, he's redeemed you as his bride. He loves you with an undying love as his bride. He's completely faithful to you and will renew you in his image by his word and spirit and bring you into the glories of his kingdom where we will forever be free from sin. Isn't that a glorious thought? We'll one day forever be free from sin. We'll never, one day we'll never struggle with lust or any kind of sexual morality or any sin at all. We'll be perfectly pure in thought, word, and deed. What a glorious thought. And so in light of our new identity in Christ, let us flee sexual immorality and glorify God in our bodies. The only way this is possible is by beholding Christ in the gospel. It's as we behold Christ in the gospel as he's proclaimed in the word and, and made visible in the sacraments that the Holy Spirit, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, is transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. And so you see, this highlights the importance of the means of grace in our battle against sin. We need God's word. We need to meditate on it each and every day. Meditate on our identity in Christ, who we are. You were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Flee sexual morality. We need to meditate on these things every day. Remember who you are in Christ as you get up each and every day and meditate on God's word, not only in private worship, but in family worship and in corporate worship on the Lord's day. It's through the means of grace as we diligently attend to the means of grace that God promises to transform us more into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to the next. Remember your baptism. You were washed. Baptism is a sign and seal of that. Remember the Lord's Supper. You've been purchased with the blood of Christ. His sacrifice turned away God's wrath so that you're reconciled to God and you can join Him in a fellowship meal that ultimately anticipates the great wedding supper of the Lamb. This is who you are. Diligently attend to the means of grace. And don't neglect prayer. Prayer is vital in this battle. If you've ever wondered what kinds of prayers does God hear and answer, this is surely one of them. God will hear your prayers for strength to resist sexual temptation and to walk in purity. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual morality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And I love this promise at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Lay hold of that promise as you battle against sin. And as you fight against sin with 
the power of the Spirit through the means of grace. Do not neglect biblical wisdom. Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. And so we need to be willing and ready to do some radical things to avoid sexual immorality. If social media is a common source of temptation, cancel social media. If certain TV shows or movies cause you to lust, don't watch them. Find a mature Christian to hold you accountable in your struggle against sexual morality. We don't fight alone, brothers and sisters. God has given us one another. He's given us the body of Christ, and we are fellow soldiers and prayer warriors in this battle for one another. Don't have a device in your home that isn't protected with filters and accountability software. I don't know why anybody would do that these days. Even if you don't struggle, others may use those devices without your knowledge. If needed, ditch your smartphone and get a good old-fashioned flip phone. Get a dumb phone. Some of these things, of course, are inconvenient, no doubt. But we have to take our sins seriously. Jesus said, cut off your hand and gouge out your eye. That sounds pretty inconvenient to me. Now, he's not speaking literally, of course, but he is speaking this way so that we will see how much of an enemy our sin is and how sometimes we have to go to some radical measures to fight against it. And be wise in the fight, like a war strategist studying your enemy. If you're struggling, think about the things that trigger you and either avoid these things, or if you can't avoid them, be especially on guard using the means of grace and ask for prayer and accountability for those times. For example, if you tend to fall when you are alone, try not to be alone. Be around other people more often. If you tend to fall late at night, don't stay up late. Go to bed early. If you tend to fall when you are stressed out, turn to God's word and pray during those times and ask others to pray for you. If you tend to fall when you are idle and just scrolling on your screens, get productive. Listen to a sermon and do the dishes. We need to study our enemy and see where we are most vulnerable to his attacks and either avoid those things or be especially on guard in God's word and in prayer during those times. But as you fight against lust and sexual immorality, remember once again, as Paul says here, that you were washed You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And remember the promise of 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Thanks be to God that one day our fight will be over will be perfectly pure and thought word indeed when we see our Savior in all his glory face to face and are like him. Amen. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we thank you for your word and Father, we do confess our sins of lust and sexual morality and we pray once again that uh, you would forgive us of our many sins and Father, we thank you that we have such wonderful good news that you've given to us in your word, the promises, the gospel, that we are washed and sanctified and justified in Christ, that that is our new identity. Help us to live out of this 
identity, which is our true identity, and help us to flee sexual morality, and help us to flee to you for all of our joy and satisfaction and uh, pleasures. For as you've promised in your word in Psalm 16, that at your right hand is eternal joy and pleasures forevermore. Help us to seek our joy and our delight in you. Help us to find delight in living according to the wisdom of your ways. Father, help us to turn more and more from our sin and to turn to you in Christ. And thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who saves to the uttermost those who draw near to him. And we long for Jesus to return. So return, Lord Jesus. Return soon. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.